0: It's New York, yo, it's a New York, yo it's a new And welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Amy Leland, a writer, director, and video editor living in Brooklyn, New York. Having written and directed a short film called Echoes, Amy is currently working on a documentary about tap dancer and teacher Sara Petronio. With Matt, Amy chats about how each project came to be, and about her past experiences both directing and video editing. They also talk about how she got started in the arts, her plans for the future, and what it's like having a day job that both supports and informs her art, and the reciprocity of that lifestyle. And so, from inspiration to escapism, here's presenting Matt Storm and Amy Leland.
1: And welcome to another episode of Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, and my guest this week is the one and only Amy Leland. Thank you.
2: Thank you. One and only. I like that.
1: You're a long walk from a few floors up.
2: I know. That is the longest commute I've had to work since I worked at home.
1: (laughs) Uh, There you go. Um, So how long have you lived in this building, actually?
2: Uh, In August, it'll be 15 years. Wow. Yeah. One
1: place for 15 years. I have no idea what that's like.
2: It's the longest I've ever lived anywhere, and I'm currently working at the place I've worked the longest. I'm starting to feel old and settled and nesty. It's very (laughs) weird. I'm so used to being transient.
1: And have you always been in New York?
2: Uh, No. I grew up in Texas. Okay. Uh, Lived the first 27 years of my life in Texas. Not all Texans are bad. Weird. There's a lot of good ones.
1: (laughs) I believe it. Hard to Uh, see sometimes, but I believe it.
2: uh, And then I spent four years in Connecticut, and then I came here in 2002. Okay. So, for those who are doing the math, yes, you now know my age. (laughs) There you go, exactly. (laughs)
1: Um, And so, um, I've gotten much more intimate with your work uh, over the last few weeks, which I'm grateful for, which um, you're a, a filmmaker, an editor, a director, a writer. Did you always want to do this kind of stuff, or is it something that you just kind of fell into?
2: That's a very funny story. So I took a very circuitous route to get to where I am. Uh, My mother always knew what I was going to do. I did not. So at two years old, I would write plays and perform them on the (laughs) mantle of the fireplace or on the hearth of the fireplace. And um, I would, you know, my dolls had stories. I would take my brother's trucks and make stories. Like, I was always making stories. Um, but as a kid, I was a math and science kid. Oh, wow. Totally into math and science. Like, every math class, every science class, except biology, because, ugh. <laughs> uh, and in high school, I was the kid who took AP calculus, AP chemistry, AP uh, physics, ugh. all of that. Um, all
1: Those were all my tutors in yeah. school, because I did not
0: do well at those. I <laughs>
2: loved math and science, but also did theater.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That was a fun thing. Right. Math and science was what real practical human beings did. Of course. Uh, I even, (laughs) not everybody knows this. I actually had originally, I had one of my plans for what my future was going to be, was I was going to go to the Naval Academy. Mm Mm-hmm i was going to then use that as a jumping stone to become a mission specialist for nasa
0: wow that would have been um, cool and i
2: have this great picture of me with my congressman me in my girls school uniform plaid skirt and blazer shaking his hand getting my nomination to the naval academy <laughs> uh, and then ultimately decided not to go there which is a really really good thing yeah but what i went to college i went to rice in houston recruited very heavily by the chemistry and physics departments to be a science person. And I got to college and within about 10 seconds started failing all my math and science classes because I was spending all my time in the theater. Oh, wow. Um, It Like for some reason, math and science, once I hit college, I was like, oh, God, this (laughs) is a drudgery. And all I wanted to do was theater. And so I called my mom I think it was my junior year of college, I called her and I said, I can't do this. I'm supposed to be doing theater, performance, something. And she was like, yeah, I know, I was just waiting for you to figure it out. Thanks, Mom. But I, I actually love that she let me figure it yeah, all out. Yeah, of course. So I had that whole strange route through math and science and then fell in love with theater in college thanks to an amazing theater professor named Sandy Havens, who I'm still friends with on Facebook, so he'll see this when I do oh, cool. the podcast awesome. episode. I shout out to him whenever I can. <laughs> uh, so he was the reason I failed my math and science classes and found my dream. Um, and then after college, I actually still was trying to figure out how do you do a career in theater well, right. obviously you get a real job. So I had a career in IT for close to a decade. Oh, wow. So I started out on the help desk doing the whole, did you try uh, turning it off uh, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> No, that's not a cup holder, that's a uh, CD rom uh, drive. <laughs> like seriously, I had that one.
1: Oh, I'm sure.
2: Um, and went up through becoming a software developer and a database administrator wow. while doing theater at night.
1: That's interesting. Uh, it
2: took years and years to finally move to New York in 2002 to get an MFA in theater. And then while I was getting an MFA in theater, for a couple of reasons, one of which included getting a divorce in the middle of getting an MFA oh, in theater, geez. I suddenly had this stark realization of, oh, I'm going to need to be able to have a job.
0: Right. <laughs> like mm-hmm.
2: I got back to that practical need for a job thing. But I was getting an MFA as a director in theater mm-hmm. with a past of a career in IT. And I said, well, if you tell stories and you're good with computers, what do you do? You edit. I picked up a MacBook Pro and taught myself Final Cut Pro and started editing in 2003. So that became my practical skill. And so now I describe myself as an independent filmmaker who pays the bills editing for television.
1: I mean, that's not bad, though. (laughs) It's the the best day
2: day job a filmmaker can have. I was going to say, you know,
1: I've been working and DJing in the arts and burlesque for a long time, and I still need a day job. I just got a new one, thankfully. And it's like one of those things that... Like, I imagine someday I'll be able to make money off this thing that I'm doing now, but but who knows? And so to being able to get a job that fuels what you love to do is pretty neat.
2: Well, I think it has to – every artist goes through the day job thing unless yeah. they're a trust fund baby and whatever. Right. But every artist has the day job thing. And I've done both. Yeah. i had – when I finished my MFA, my day job for a couple of years was I was an administrative assistant at an investment bank. Mm-hmm. Which is the other good kind of day job for an artist because it didn't feed my art, but it also didn't smother it.
1: Right. It allowed it to exist separately. Yeah.
2: So I was able at that job, because I would get my work done very quickly, I would do all my rehearsal scheduling sitting at Yeah investment bank and you know and the guys i worked for were like yeah we know you're going to leave early when you have auditions to run or whatever we don't care just make sure you book our flights before you go
0: <laughs> like so
2: that was also a perfectly good kind of day job that's awesome um for me personally though i like to be i like to be completely in what i'm doing all the sure, time of course um Different people need different things. Some people need a day job that just pays the bills, and then they do that. I need the whole. I'm in it all the time. So right. the editing has been great.
1: That's awesome. So
2: I'm kind of in it all the time.
1: And so talk a little bit about the editing. So how did you just taught yourself how to do Final Cut Pro? Yeah. What were your earliest gigs for editing?
2: Um, I actually started out. This is interesting because I I came to my artistic career later than most people do. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people come in in there right out of college or right. in college. I came into it in my 30s. I find that that's less and less
1: true now, though. Like, I haven't come into my own until, like, my 30s also as far as finding artistic stuff.
2: So I think the root in, like, I meet a lot of people now who are in their 20s and trying to get entry-level jobs doing editing and television and all that kind of thing. And they'll do the internships. They'll do the overnight logging jobs. I was in my 30s. I didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what I ended up doing was I started with... uh, offering my editing services to charities I cared about so I could get actual editing gigs and mm-hmm. at the time I do videography too so at the time yeah. I was a one man band you need videos for your charity Yeah. let me do a video for your charity um, and I did them primarily there's a wonderful company called Global Impact Productions that produces the AIDS ride I do every year but they also produce other events Oh, cool. and so I did event videos for them and Donated my services and said, I believe in what you're doing, but let me donate, donate my services. At the end of which, I had clips I could show to people saying, hey, check out the videos I make. Right. So that was a good way in for me. All um, right, cool. And then started picking up, you know, little jobs where people needed videos for their websites. Sure. You know, started out with those kind of things first.
1: Um, and so then I guess next I want to ask is, what's the strangest thing you've edited to date? Because <laughs> I'm sure there are some.
2: While I was working at the investment bank, one of the guys in my group was from Canada. Uh-huh. And every year, he would go moose hunting. <laughs> and they would do video of their moose hunts. And he wanted a video of the moose hunt. Now, relevant to this story is that I'm a vegetarian.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... I
2: mean, I don't buy leather. I don't buy things tested on animals. Like, sure, I'm of course. I'm very, very into being vegetarian. And I always have been so amused by the fact that I managed to completely give him the exact video he wanted without watching probably 90% of the footage. Interesting. I, I, was a, I was somehow between a lot of fast-forwarding and guessing, I was able to give him what he wanted without watching half the video. But the best part, and this was the part that made him the happiest, is they had video where in the middle of the night they were driving down the you know backcountry road with right. no light whatsoever, and their headlights as they move forward on the road suddenly come across huge moose in the road right and he and his brother are in the truck cursing up a storm and and oh my god and you know and saying all these things they didn't want their little nephews to hear right so he said can you edit that part so that we can show the nephews us seeing the moose in the middle of the night but without them hearing the cursing and I think he thought I was going to edit the cursing out. But instead, what I did was I found a sound of a moose call and used it as a bleep. It, <laughs> it made him so happy. He That's was, great. He was like my happiest client ever. That's... And I didn't watch most of his footage. All so right. yeah, that was a weird video That's
1: really funny. Yeah, I find that the, the audio editing that I did in college, a lot of it was like mistake that I would make. Like I made a remix of a, a song from a movie using quotes from the movie. And the quotes were punctuated at points during the song. But I don't recall setting out to do that. It just kind of worked out that way. But then when I submitted it to my course, my teacher was like, oh, this is great. You wait for this moment. And then this quote happens and all that. And I was like, uh, sure. That happens
2: in editing all the time. I can't tell you how often I lay music down. And, like, I edit for a sports network. Mm -hmm. So when we use music, of course, it's beat of the music with the dunk of the ball. you know, All that kind of stuff half the time that stuff lines up accidentally and i can't tell you how many times the producer said well try this song i lay it down i'm like well all the dunks line up to the beat so yes that's a perfect song we're keeping it yeah but i have learned that the best thing to do in those situations is always to say yep i meant to do that yeah totally uh yep totally (laughs) planned that i did
1: that (laughs) it's just when they ask you to do it again that sometimes it could get you into trouble i guess
2: And they're like, change the shot. I'm like, nope, nope. All the tongues line up. We're right where it is. Um,
1: So have you been uh, writing and uh, directing as long as you've been editing?
2: Um, I haven't been writing very long. I've been directing a long time. I directed a play for the first time in 92, I think. So I've been directing for a very long time. Um, Directing was the passion I found. That was when I knew this was what I was going to be doing. Uh, The very first play I ever directed, that theater professor I mentioned, Sandy, um, I had been doing the college theater for a while, Mm -hmm. and I would audition a lot and not usually get cast. But I did a lot of like costume design, lighting design, sound design, that kind of thing. And then I took a year off from school, during which I directed two plays. Mm -hmm. And the first play I ever directed, he came to see it. And at the end of the play, he came up to me, No words, just a big smile on his face, and he gave me a hug. And we both had that moment of, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then the funny thing was, after taking the year off, I came back and I started getting cast in plays because directing taught me how to act. Right. Um, So I've been directing for a long, long time. For me, writing was always that crazy, magical voodoo thing other people did. Right, of course. People come springing out of your head? That makes no sense to me. So for many years, you know, I started out directing all the plays everybody directs, and when right. I moved into I only want to direct original works. Once I moved to New York, right. I stopped directing published works. Okay, um, I've directed since I moved to New York in 2002. I've directed one previously published play. Oh wow! Because it was a it was an MFA project for one of, for two of the actors in my MFA program it was a Harold Pinter play, The Lover. So not a bad <laughs> choice if you're yeah, going to sure. go with a published play. But everything else I've directed in this city has been a new play.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
2: Or a screenplay written right. by somebody else. And for me, as a director, I love that process of helping to develop the work and foster yeah. the work and make it grow. Um, there was a great, I went to a great Q&A with, um, and I always do this, I always end up blanking on his name. Ah. Um,
1: uh. I'd say later that we could edit it back in, but I won't. Um
2: well, what was the guy's name? I can totally picture him. Isn't that anyway. the worst
1: when that happens? When just, it's anyway, fine. You can mention really it later. Anyway, I really love,
2: and I'll think of it later. But I went to a Q&A with him, and he said he only directs original work. And he said, mm-hmm. if I can't have the writer in the rehearsal room with me, I'm not interested in the project. Mm. And during the Q&A with him afterwards, somebody said to him, you mean you don't want to direct Shakespeare? And he said, well, I'll tell you what. You get him in the rehearsal room. I'm all for it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I kind of feel that way. Um Oh, it's going to drive me crazy. I can't think of his name. Anyway, I'll come up with it later. Um, but that's how I've always felt. But for me, I thought my skill was working with a writer. Right. That it was, I'm very good at taking a script that exists and analyzing it and helping to fix it. And I've done a lot of that work with writers. But then, I guess it was three or four years ago, I kind of hit that point of, all right, if I really want to call myself a filmmaker... I also need to find some of my own stories to tell. Right. So, oh, okay. I got to try this crazy writing thing. Uh, so I did, and I'm still pretty new at it. I've mm-hmm. done. I've written one short film that's been produced and done. I've written a couple of other short scripts. I'm in the middle of fi- of rewriting my first feature script. So I'm still new at the writing thing. I now do call myself a writer, and I do go to writers' conferences and all that, yeah. but it it still feels very new to me, yeah. because for years it was that crazy voodoo other people do.
1: I felt the same way when Crash Chords first started, and I used it as, it was a music blog before it was a podcast site, and now it's predominantly a podcast site, but like after a while, um, publicists and people would reach out to me to write up on albums and bands, and they're like, well, you're a writer, you should write about this, and i go, I'm a writer? I guess I am a writer, huh?
2: (laughs) It was a big thing for me when I finally, I had to get a new business card made up. I put the word writer on that. It was such a big thing for me. Yeah, right, sure. But I have this friend who is a writer uh, who's been so supportive of me. My friend Lance Marshall, who's an incredible writer, actor, director, filmmaker. Such an incredible guy. And he was the one where I was saying to him, you know, I can't wait till I get to call myself a writer. And he's like, what are you talking about? You write. You're a writer. writer. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's Mm -hmm. like, you're in the middle of producing a short film that you wrote. You're a writer. I'm like, well, it's just the one. He's like, you're a writer. Like, he kept pushing me and pushing me. And so the next time I did my business cards, I put the word writer on them. And I was like, hey, Lance, look what I did. It was felt very cool.
1: (laughs) So let's talk about that uh, short film because I had the pleasure of watching it uh, earlier today, uh, Echoes. So where... So after having watched it and seen it now, where where did that idea come from? Because I have my own interpretations about it. Well, We will or won't get to that later. But like, where did that come from? Is that inspired by something? Did it just kind of manifest? Is it based on something else you've seen?
2: I was walking down uh, near Battery Park in one of those beautiful areas of this city mm-hmm. where you can sit on a bench and look out at the river. And I was walking down one of those walkways and saw a guy sitting on a bench and a woman was standing behind him with her arms around him from behind and they were just looking out at the water. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I immediately thought, I want to know what their story is. Yeah. And I started making their story. And by the way, this was 12 years ago, 13 years ago. I was in grad school at the time. Uh-huh. And I started to think up a story about who those people were. And... Uh, at the time, I also, just from the moment I moved to the city, I became completely obsessed with the Brooklyn Bridge. It's the most <laughs> beautiful structure. I love walking across it. My uh-huh. favorite pizza is right under it. <laughs> um, I take pictures of it all the time. Like, every time I'm near it, I have to take a picture of it. And so, for me, it was about taking two visual images and mm-hmm. putting them together and what's the story. Um, and I thought of this back in grad school, and I was going to, try to come up with something and I had two actors who were in grad school with me at Mm -hmm. the time that I was going to try to come up with something but this was when I was still figuring out how do you do this filmmaker thing and I don't really know what I'm doing so I'm kind of glad it didn't happen then Um, and then one of the actors that I had in mind for it who was not a U.S. citizen at the end of grad school went back to Ireland where she's Mm -hmm. from and I was disappointed and I thought well that's a shame Um, okay and then I kind of put that idea away and then Ten years later, I was working on a workshop of a play at the actor Studio, and the woman who was the star of our workshop, a woman named Shannon Beebe, who's in Echoes, um, I worked with her on this workshop for, I guess, about two years we worked on that, and I loved working with her. And one day, she sent me a link. She said, oh, I wanted you to see my film reel. And I had loved working with her on stage, but I saw her film reel, and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, right. That's who you are. <laughs> you know, you should be in front of cameras every day of your life because, <laughs> wow, you're amazing in front of a camera. Yeah. She's beautiful on stage. She's otherworldly in front of a camera. And I saw that, and that idea came back to Thanks. me. And I was like, that's who needs to make that movie. Yeah. And so I told her about the idea, and I said, I don't really have it fully fleshed out yet. I don't know exactly what it is. But I've had this idea floating around, and I've seen your reel, real, and you're the woman that needs to be in it. We just need to find the guy. She's like, okay, you should meet my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and so I met her husband and saw his film reel, and I was like, okay, you're totally right. So the two people in the film are husband oh, and wife in real awesome. life. that's awesome. Wow. And uh, so some of the idea for that was already formed, but some of it... We sat and had discussions, mm-hmm. and, like, it was it was just a really cool process, so.
1: That's awesome. And so, I mean, well, that, that adds a lot to it, just knowing that, because, yeah. like, there's a lot of chemistry, and what's interesting yeah. is there's so much chemistry and so much emotion, but there are no words. The yeah. whole film, there's no words. Yeah. And so, what, did you find that easier or harder to write? Well,
2: so... That was the first thing I ever wrote. Right. And I thought, well, everybody always says the dialogue is the hard part. So I'm going to start with an idea that doesn't need dialogue so I can slowly build up to Literally having die. to figure out how people talk on a page. Um, and I thought, oh, that'll make it so much easier, Ron.
0: No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs>
2: I've actually found I'm pretty decent with dialogue. And uh-huh. so having something with no words was difficult. But I'm glad I did it because it was it was such an interesting challenge. Um, So for, you know, obviously most of your audience hasn't seen the film. I don't want to tell you everything about it because there's some surprising elements of it. And we'll
1: share links to it once it's available for everyone to consume.
2: Awesome. I should do that soon then. Um, (laughs) um, But essentially it's two people taking a walk together. Right. And what I thought about while I was putting the story together was what scenario would there be where two people would be in a story together and never speak to one another Mm -hmm. and have it be natural. Right. Like I didn't want to, you know, I've seen, it's so interesting. Like I think about the episode of Buffy, the Buffy, the vampire slayer hush.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. They
2: created a scenario where it's completely natural that people don't talk, but it's still, there's still a contrivance that creates that to happen. Yeah. Um, And I didn't want that. I didn't want some outside force that created a world where nobody talked. Like I didn't want that.
1: You wanted it to be Uh, natural. I
2: want it to be a natural situation in which people wouldn't talk. Um, although I think Hush is one of the most brilliant episodes of television ever, and they did it really well,
1: it, was, it is one of my favorites. What
2: was funny is a few years later, CSI New York tried to do the same thing. They did an episode where for the first half, nobody spoke and it was so clunky. Yeah, and of course awkward you can't and terrible do the terrible thing yeah. because they didn't have a reason. They just yeah. didn't talk. and yeah. They did a lot of charades at each other. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, um, so I wanted a scenario where people just naturally wouldn't talk to each other. But it also, because of what the scenario is, created all of these other technical, interesting things about mm-hmm. how they could touch one another and yeah. how they could interact with one another uh, that was really fascinating.
1: Um, well, the opening scene is one of my favorites where it just opens on them in a bed together. Yeah. And the, uh, the gentleman's still asleep and the woman is awake and watching him sleep. And then he slowly wakes up. Yeah. And then they just, and then it cuts to the next scene. And it was just, it's very int- an interesting starting scene. Yeah. Because you can have one of two thoughts. You can either go, that's creepy. Or go, that's really sweet. Because that's, I mean, kind of the two far ends of that yeah. is like, obviously if they're in a relationship together, like their husband and wife, then that's a typical thing. Yeah. As a, as a husband, I can speak to that. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting. But then, you know, then I'm watching and I'm going... I wonder what the dialogue is going to be like. Like I'm just thinking. After <laughs> oh, all, you didn't
2: know there was going to be no dialogue. That's no,
1: <laughs> and so, so like, I first of all, you know, they're both very stunning people. I wanted to hear their voice. I wanted to hear their dynamic, and then I realized, oh, the dynamic is all physical. There is no yeah. talking. Um, does that make the um, film and audio editing harder or easier um, since there's no dialogue?
2: That was an interesting process. So the plan from the beginning of production was always to have. Uh, So it's essentially a silent movie. So music drives the movie a lot. So the -hmm. the idea was always to have uh, a soundtrack to the film that helped with the story. I don't like soundtracks that tell the story, but I like the ones that enhance the story. And the woman who did the soundtrack, Anat Ford, I actually met her a year before we went into production, I think. And I went to hear her play at Cornelia Street Cafe with a friend of mine who introduced me to her. And what I love about her music is... My favorite kind of music is anything that I can imagine being soundtrack music, score music. Mm -hmm. Like, if I feel like music is telling me a story, I'm so into it. And the first song of hers that I fell in love with is this beautiful song called Minnesota, where I swear when I'm listening to it, I can feel snow falling. Like, Mm -hmm. she has that ability with her music. And so... I went to see her show, and afterward, we were all sitting around talking, and I said, I really love your music and want to put it in a film someday. And her immediate answer was, great, let's make a movie together. Like, just like
0: that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um,
2: and so she ended up doing the score for the film. So that was part of it, but I also didn't want the music to be the only sound. Right. Um, so I had this. I have this great sound designer I work with, Kip Sturm, who's just the most amazing human being and this completely calming influence on every set he steps on. <laughs> But things would happen while we were on set, like there's a scene that we film on the Esplanade right beneath one of the supports of the Brooklyn Bridge, which is one of my favorite spots because looking at the bridge from that angle is so imposing and amazing. Sure, of course. And I kept thinking to myself, I love the sound of water. Right. And I... Literally turned to Kip to say, "Hey, while we're on this downtime, could you get some of that sound of that music uh, of that water?" As I watched him take his mic and hands uh, to get the sound of the water. water. Nice. Um, he, it was just like we had that experience all the way through, where everybody was just on the same page. And like I'd turn to say to somebody, "Hey, could you do what you're doing right now? That's great." <laughs> um, and so what he did with the final mix was about blending in. When is the external sound that you're hearing more prominent? When is the music more prominent? Right. There was one very important moment near the end where he actually took all the external sound out for yeah. just a moment. And it creates this kind of gasp of breath yeah. in the film. And then that, that sound of the world slowly returns just as the film is coming to an end. And so it was really about scoring the film with the sounds of the city, with yeah. the music, with all of that. That's so. really cool. It was fun. It was really, really fun.
1: That's awesome. Um, And so that that leads me to my next question is, so obviously with that film, there's a lot of directing in the editing as well, because you're controlling the final cut, where something that you're editing, that you control the final cut, that you say didn't do the film work for, or didn't, it's not something that you made. Do you find that your directing influences kind of the flow of that, or...
2: Absolutely. Um, I tell people all the time when I'm applying for editing jobs that me having experience as a director is good for them it makes right. me a better editor um, and and the funny thing is you know I have people ask me this all the time I, I mentor young editors sometimes and they'll ask me like what is the process am I allowed to have opinions like and the answer is it's different with every director yeah I have edited for directors who tell me, I want to go from this frame to this frame of this shot then I want you to switch to this. Like they're very specific and they know exactly what they want. Which is like at
1: that point it's like they just don't Um, know how to use the technology. Right. (laughs) And
2: that's fine. I actually don't mind that. Like somebody with an incredibly strong vision who knows exactly what they want is fine. I don't mind that there are times when my job is mostly technical. Right. And I have found that usually with those directors, even those directors are still open to me saying, I actually think this moment would work a little bit better if we tried this. Like, usually they're open to seeing that. But I've also worked with, I just finished cutting a feature film that I'm so excited about. It's so good. Uh, uh, I'm guessing
1: you can't say what feature film it is. Yeah, no, oh. I can.
2: It's uh, So it's a feature called Sundown. That was written and directed by Brendan Boogie, who lives up in Boston. Oh, cool! Fascinating guy. Um, he is a writer, director, actor, musician, whose day job is is he's a psychologist for the army. Like, wow. Yeah, he's crazy, interesting guy, and super talented. Um, he he plays in bands. What's the. Uh, see I'm going to totally the Nate Levitt experience I think is the name of the band he's playing with right now so like really good rock musician Mm -hmm. really good writer director actor guy and very active in the indie film scene in Boston so he wrote and directed this film and then I edited it for him and what I loved was he sent me all the footage and said you do a first cut let me see what you think of what we shot and how it came together
1: Interesting. And what was
2: great was the did, way he shot. Did you have shot... the story
1: or script? Oh, yeah, yeah, Oh, oh of course. okay,
2: yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he didn't tell me what shots to use. Got it. He said, you put the scenes together the way you think, because he wanted to see, was the story working? And what was interesting was the way he shot, his vision was very clear. Right. Like, in the long run, I ended up picking a lot of what he wanted anyway, because he was That's very clear he, in the what, process. Yeah. But he was incredibly collaborative. And when he would say... I want to use this shot. I would say, great, here's this shot, but can I also show you this one? And he would say, yeah, absolutely. And we had so much awesome. like, collaborative back and forth. Um, he understood that an editor is a storyteller. Like, he really got that. So I've had those experiences, too. Um,
1: and what's that film about?
2: It's, oh, it's such a beautiful story. So Brendan actually wrote this, this story uh, with his father in mind. So his father died... Last year or the year before, I think the year before, and had dementia before he died. Mm-hmm. And so this story is about a family dealing with, with th- a father who, who has, has dementia. dementia. Okay, um, it's not Brendan and his family. It's a right. loosely based on kind of thing, um, but it's a it's all about that. It's about the family and the lead character is the son, right? Uh, who is. Uh, not like Brendan. Brendan's very accomplished and very responsible and the son in this film
1: is kind of not. Uh, Not.
2: So it's a lot about this son having to figure out how to be an actual adult human being while dealing with this father who has dementia and the mother who's struggling to deal with it and the sister and lots of interesting characters. But he wrote this, you know, inspired by his father uh, and it's called Sundown because the whole thing, like when somebody has dementia, there's the sundowning effect where later in the day they're not as with it Mentally. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's a beautiful film, and I'm he, excited to see it. He found all these great actors in Boston. Like, it, it was such a joy as an editor, because sometimes my job as an editor is to take a pile of crap and make <laughs> something good out of it. I, I can't tell you how many times that has been my job, where I get the footage and I'm like, "Really, guy?
1: I'm, I'm sure," and I won't ask you to make specific uh, references or allusions. Oh, I won't. I won't. <laughs> um,
2: it was such a joy to take footage that was well-written, well-directed, well-acted, well-shot, and have my job as an editor be to not mess it up. Yeah, just to to, to put it together. To put it together and try to do what I could to enhance it some with rhythm and pacing and... Um, that was a joy like it was such a fun project to work on and by the end of it I was like oh my god we have this great movie uh, I think they're beginning the process I just took that from the edit into sending it to the sound designer and the Mm -hmm. colorist and Um, But we're starting the process, I think, of getting that into the festival circuit.
1: Very cool. Awesome. It's really good. That's awesome. I hope to get to see it sometime.
2: Oh, you will. (laughs) Oh,
1: awesome. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So we talk quite at length about your professional career and all the things you've done. And um, I wonder if that leaves you actually any time to have hobbies or things that you do besides work. But um, (laughs) do you have any – so I'm guessing that uh, any hobbies that you have or anything that you do outside of work is Fueled by your desire yeah. to do and work within film and TV and well, and, and, yes and, and, and no. theater. No, um, it's. So do you find any time to watch TV or? or oh, I that...
2: find a ridiculous amount of time <laughs> to watch TV. I...
1: <laughs> do you have a favorite show that that you're watching these days or? Just...
2: <laughs> well, the big thing for me is it's so funny because for me TV is one of two things. Right. I love watching television. I'm a media junkie. I mm-hmm. love to read listen to music, watch TV, watch movies. I have a very hard time with sitting and doing nothing. That's the one thing yeah. I'm not good at. I, yeah. But I I have a job where I often come home brain dead. Like just brain dead. <laughs> yeah. the, the main show I work on at CBS Sports right now is a one-hour daily live talk show. Oh, wow. Where we come in at 11 a.m. What's the sports news of the day? We cut all the video for the show. It goes on the air at 6 o'clock live.
0: Oh, wow. It's a
2: fast-paced, crazy day, and I come home brain dead. Yeah. And I would love to say that I come home and I watch a good documentary, but usually I come home and I watch Law & Order reruns.
1: That's fine.
2: Law & Order is my... Comfort food TV. It's my I can Everybody put it on, has that. Yeah. and I've seen every episode at least once, probably more like four or five times.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I can watch it without engaging my brain cells. Sure, of course. When I'm ready to engage my brain cells, um, I find it so exciting where we are with television right now. We sure. are in, we're in sort of a second golden age of television mm-hmm. because I think the first one really was the HBO golden age. It mm-hmm. was Sopranos, Sex in the City. Uh, even a little bit before that, I've actually been going back and rewatching ER, and ER predates those shows, yeah. but was a part of that starting to push. As into long as you really watch good. the
1: later seasons, the first couple oh, no. seasons, See, that I really, just think you the first like seasons are the better ones. Oh, really? Oh, yeah.
2: With the original cast, okay. um, was so good. That was when it was John Wells, who is also the executive producer That's of true. West Wing.
0: Yeah,
2: uh, that was when it was Anthony Edwards, George Clooney. Yeah, um, I mean juliana margulies like that original cast was so phenomenal and they were breaking ground i mean yeah. er is the reason we have study cams yeah basically for sure yeah um and then why we later on west wing got the walk and talk yeah so of course. there was that initial golden era of television but a lot of it driven by hbo mm-hmm. and premium channels we're now in a golden era of television that the rules are sort of all breaking away and the boundaries are all breaking away and you're getting Netflix and Amazon saying here's a season of television have at it yeah Um, and what's happening that I think is good is that where we've been in television for a little while now is that shows aren't getting a chance to find themselves you know, mm-hmm. shows are getting canceled after four or five episodes.
1: Yeah, I, I, which is ridiculous. I won't. You won't have to say it because you may work with them someday. But I can't stand Fox for that. You know, two of the f- my favorite shows that I've ever loved—they've killed and aired them out of order. Both Firefly and then a show that came later, um, uh, Almost Human. Both were air- are sci-fi shows. They aired out of order, yeah. and then when people didn't understand it, they canceled them. Yeah, and and the second one really killed me because. Like, it was one of the best buddy cop dramas in, in the future that didn't feel like the future. Like, they had future tech, but it was about regular... It wasn't like spaceship battles, and it was it was real cop drama, but it just happened to take place in the future.
2: Yeah, I didn't watch that one, and I, I have to say, I didn't actually discover Firefly until seeing the 10th anniversary panel from Comic-Con. I'm not a Comic-Con kind of girl. I would probably never go to a convention, but because of my love of Supernatural, I sometimes (laughs) end up watching clips of panels online. Yeah, sure. That's another of my comfort food things. At two in the morning, I'm probably watching clips of Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ackles being silly together at a convention. I
0: do adore Uh, them.
2: They're amazing. Yeah. But because of one of those nights of, I have insomnia and I'm going to watch Supernatural convention clips, I ended up seeing the link to the... the, um, 10th anniversary panel for the Firefly cast mm-hmm. I watched that panel and said oh my god I have to watch this show yeah and binge watched the 13 episodes that are available and got really mad that it got canceled like yeah so I went through that whole emotional experience about but what but happened to it, but 10 years after the fact
1: so, so yeah uh, I got into Firefly after it'd been off the air my girlfriend at the time had already seen all of it and knew everything that happened and so uh, I was watching the series. And then when I finished the series, she said, you're not allowed to watch the movie without me. She also knew my favorite character was Wash. And oh. I love Alan Tudyk. And so she's like, you cannot watch the movie without me. I was like, but why? She's like, you can't. You can't. And you can't. then I did. And I was hysterical. I was a mess. I was like, it, I loved it. And I still love it. And, I, and I'm and i fervent about it. But then I found out after the fact that they aired like the first episode yeah. last. I'm like, yeah, but that it does,
2: just, it, just it, yeah. doesn't make any sense. But anyway. But. And P.S. Alan Tudick and I share a birthday, and he's from Texas, so I'm convinced he's my soulmate. If you're out there listening, Alan Tudyk would be nice to meet you. Um, he's from El Paso, which is I, where I, my family is from. I,
1: I can only uh, hope that he's listening. Uh, <laughs> that
2: would I, be amazing. I, I
1: don't think so, but um, I, I can hope.
2: But what's happening now, lo- long way back around to where we are with television now,
0: mm-hmm.
2: is there's more of a sense, because of what's happening with Netflix and Amazon yeah. and all these places, of producing an entire series an entire season at one time Uh-huh. and therefore getting the chance to figure out how it all fits together without you know most television shows and i don't know if people really understand how television is made it's crazy yeah i, I never worked so hard or felt so stressed until i started working in television because television is crazy <laughs> um it is constant Like, every dramatic show that you watch is always constantly in four different states of production. Yeah. And most episodes of television are produced in, like, three or four weeks. Like, the production schedule on an episode of television is insane. Mm -hmm. The writers are, you know, writing an episode in seven days, and then as soon as that one starts shooting, they're writing the next one in seven days. Yeah. You know, you listen to really good TV writers and really good showrunners talk about their process. It's like, how are you alive? Sure. But when you have a show like Stranger Things where they're taking time to write the entire season yeah. and then produce the entire season, it's creating something that's has a different kind of life to it. Yeah. And I think it's starting to have an effect on how people are thinking about television. Sure. And I'm hoping we'll get back to, you know, earlier days of television in the 70s and the 80s if a first season of a show wasn't very good the response was well let's see what happens in season two Mm -hmm. do they get it together yeah sure so shows were given a season or two to prove themselves before saying okay yeah that's really not working yeah versus shows now getting canceled after six episodes yeah um and so i'm hoping that this whole thing that's happening with netflix and amazon and all that is going to start and plus the availability of if the studio says no, great, I'll produce my television and put it on the internet.
1: Yeah, sure. You know,
2: that's There's a democracy to it that I think is changing what we're seeing. And it's interesting. This happened with digital film, too. When digital fa- cameras first came out, there was a huge reaction from people in the film industry. Oh, this is very bad because now anybody can make a film. And the flip side is, yeah, but now anybody, anybody can, can make, make a film. film. Sure. You know, so it's... The amount of crap is bigger. Yeah. The amount of good stuff is bigger. Sure. Like, both of those piles are growing exponentially. So as long as you can figure out where the good pile is... Yeah. Oh, my God. I I watch so much television.
1: For sure. No, yeah. Like, uh, uh, a perfect example of what you're talking about is my favorite comedy of all time is Parks and Rec. And I didn't really like The Office. But I I love Parks and Rec. But the first season is terrible. Like, they didn't know what they were doing with the characters. The, the Leslie Nope legendary lead character was nothing like she was in the remainder of the seasons, but they fumbled around in the first season, and then every season after that was gold. And but
2: somehow if, they got the chance. Right. Thank goodness. It,
1: I mean, think about Seinfeld also. The first yeah. season, people hated the first season, but it got better and better, and, yeah. and it's one of those things that shows grow if you give them the time to do so. Yeah. I mean, it's the only reason I think that um, Marvel has been so successful on Netflix. Like, I like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and I love the Marvel cinematic universe but shows like daredevil and luke cage and like iron fist which is coming out they couldn't have existed unless you could put them all out at once because like jessica jones is one of my favorites of them even though i didn't really know the character because i was able to watch all of it over a handful of days and you can tell that the story is interconnected. And yeah. You can tell that everything is put together. It's, it's really a brilliant way, I think, to release comic book TV. Like, the movies work, too, because they have the interconnectedness of those movies and that they're building this universe. But it works on an even better scale, I think, on Netflix because you can just release an entire season. Yeah. Like, releasing an entire trade paperback of... The entire run of a comic book.
2: I still need to watch a lot of that stuff. I was watching Agents of Shield, and the writing started to really get to me. Like, oh, so come it
1: on. gets better and better. I know.
2: I know. I need to come back and give it. A chance the, the,
1: again. the first season's tough. I really like the second season, and since they've incorporated the In- Inhumans and made like more of the cinematic universe kind of spill over into it, it has a gravitas that it didn't have before. Yeah. And they started changing the characters and growing them. In the first season, there's really no growth or change.
2: I stuck with it longer than that. I don't know if it was the end of the second or the third third season that I finally was like alright I gotta
1: stop. It's, it's once character.
2: Kyle McLaughlin character. That's the end of the second that's, season. That's, all right, that's yeah. when I was like alright. Yeah it gets on. better <laughs> in
1: the third season because the, the, the characters grow leaps and bounds and they change the dynamics all a right. bit. I'll go back and watch. So, it. So I suggest going back to it though I mean I would recommend over that the Arrow Flash Supergirl universe because I've loved those shows. I miss the current seasons because CW don't they pulled their stuff off hulu and created their own app mm. so if you wanted to watch their stuff you had to have their app and so i'm behind on it but i love the all the seasons of those shows that i've seen yeah and I, I want think, to
2: catch up with jessica jones too because that's one of those great new york shows that cast a bunch of my friends yes, so. <laughs> yes. and it's always Ryan fun to see that. from echoes is yes like jessica jones yes
1: <laughs> i thought he looked familiar yeah, yeah he's that. been
2: getting a lot of really good work that's um, awesome yeah but i he was one of the reasons, and I have a friend named Nidra who I think had a two-episode thing on Jessica Jones. I'm like, I need to watch my friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: um, so, so we talked quite a bit about TV. Um, are there any films that you're really into right now or stuff that you've seen recently oh, that yeah. you're really digging?
2: Well, every year before the Oscars, um, I try really hard to see everything that's nominated in a major category. Okay, And I do pretty well. I get some screeners and... Um, possible I have friends I share screeners with uh, we won't talk about that um, but I managed to usually get most of the films there's some amazing films this year mm-hmm. oh my god um, Moonlight yeah. is one of the most beautiful things I think I've ever seen and it's so funny it struck me when I was watching it that I was loving it for a lot of the same reasons I loved Boyhood mm. there's something very similar about those two movies in that it's just an observation of somebody's experience. Yeah. Now what's different about moonlight from boyhood besides the fact that the two experiences are so different is that boyhood you get this sort of growing It's very chronological, changing, yeah. whereas with it with moonlight it that jumps. aspect snuck up on me because you're seeing the same person's experience, but in three very different stages. And with three life, different actors. with three different actors. But
1: you believe that they're all the same person. Oh my
2: god. And it was just, it's funny a friend of mine, I said something about Moonlight on Facebook the other day and a friend said I've been wanting to watch that, but I don't know if I'm in the mood for something that intense because something about the trailer or the teaser had mm. made her think it was going to be this intense, dramatic. And I'm like, it's really it's not. not intense ever. It's yeah. quiet and it's beautiful. Like they're in the middle storyline. There are a couple of small, intense moments. Yeah. But other than that, there's not. It's yeah. just quiet and beautiful and whew, so good. Uh, and then Lion is a movie. That, I still haven't seen that oh. one.
1: I hear good things. Have all the Kleenex in the world (laughs)
2: available. There's a point about 15 minutes before the end of the film where I start just started ugly sobbing, (laughs) crying, and it lasted until a few minutes after the credits had stopped rolling. Like it's just, it's a stunning film. It's, I mean, and interesting too because like. Moonlight, you start out with the character being played by this amazing little kid, and then mm-hmm. later, same character as an adult. Sure. Uh, I remember somebody saying to me, Why is Dev Patel nominated as supporting actor? That's so weird. Well, when you see the movie, he doesn't show up till it's halfway over. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Because his character is played by somebody else in the first half, <laughs> this amazing little kid yeah. who, from what I've read, didn't speak English. But also didn't speak Hindi, which is the language his character was supposed to speak. So this little kid learned everything phonetically... To play this role, it's amazing.
0: That's that's awesome.
2: But it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Um, and Arrival was amazing. Arrival was fantastic. Like,
1: well, it's funny when going into Arrival, I never read the short story, but my wife Sarah has, and so there's this point. So it the movie, I hear from a lot of other people, the story clicks for them a lot earlier. But for me, it really didn't click until. And if you don't want to be spoiled on Arrival, turn this off. And then come back in like five minutes <laughs> um, but that moment where she's at the banquet in the finger quotes future talking to what is it, the Chinese general yeah and then I go that's when it clicked I was like oh it's happening at the same like she can she's perceiving everything at once Yeah. because the whole time she's talking about her daughter and I'm like I don't understand why she's saying she doesn't know who that is she said at the beginning and then I realized like
2: yeah.
1: her the film kind of takes place all at once and it was just really interesting and like it's funny because towards the end Sarah grabs my hand and like starts quietly sobbing into her other hand uh, and it's like what's happened and then when it clicked for me I understood
2: Yeah, I, you know it's funny one of the things I heard I read somebody say about That movie, they're like, Well, I figured it out from the very beginning. I don't care. Yeah, and and I like, I'm one of those people where, unless it's The Sixth Sense, yeah, I don't care about being surprised. Like, I I heard that as a criticism of, Well, it was supposed to be a surprise and I figured it out early. Well, good for you, Cupcake. Like, uh, congratulations. It's not
1: the director's fault or the writer's fault. That's
2: not what it was about. And I'm also, it's amazing to me that I've managed to stay one of these people. Who can just go along for the ride? Yeah, I wasn't trying to figure anything out. I was just sitting there enjoying Same. this amazing, yeah. amazing story. It just happened, it and clicks. then at some point, I don't even remember when it clicked for me. Yeah. What was happening? At some point, I was like, "Oh, that's really fascinating." That right. I'm still in this ride, so let me just stay on this ride. Sure. Um, I mean, it, 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 but that it wasn't about being surprised or being tricked, or and it's sad to me that that there are times people approach stories that way. Yeah. Like, well, I figured it out early. Well good for you.
1: Yeah.
2: Now there is a thing like we do talk in writing about you know the audience being ahead of the story. Sure. That's a problem. Right. But if the point of the story is not about hiding something from you, then it's okay that you found it. Like yeah, you know of course. That, that to me is fine. And that was one of those movies where it was about so much more than that. Mm-hmm. Um it's funny, I went to see that movie. I have a friend that I go see, a friend named Matt, who I go see big blockbuster movies with. Because uh-huh. we both love it. And we usually go up to the IMAX theater at Lincoln Center. Sure. This one wasn't in IMAX, so we saw it somewhere else. But we go see the big blockbuster movies. And he's just a big movie buff. He just loves movies. But he doesn't analyze them. Like, he's like, I liked that movie. And that's That's, his commentary on the
1: movie. That's me with a lot of Um, stuff. Not everything, though. But, yeah.
2: But he always laughs because we go out afterward after we see the movie and talk about the movie. And I'll go on about the writing and the acting and, you know, the editing style. And he was like, yep, I liked it. It was fun.
0: And so (laughs) when we
2: finished watching Arrival, he looked at me very expectantly. He's like, what did you think? And I was like, I'm going to need to tell you in a couple days. (laughs) Yeah. Because right now... Processing, please hold. Like, yeah. I just, I couldn't even get my head around that movie. It was yeah. so good. Uh Hidden Figures is another one everybody Rivers. has to see. Well, it's
1: funny. So you mentioned Hidden Figures and mo- Moonlight. So I love Janelle Monae ah. as a musician. I've loved her for a while. She's one of those musicians that I saw on TV looking fabulous. And I went, I don't know who you are, but I want to know everything about you. And then she turned up in both these movies, being phenomenal in both these movies. She's so good. And it's funny, too, because I have a habit of just seeing the blockbusters. You know, like, I'm a big Marvel fan. I want to be a big DC fan, but they're killing me. And, uh, good. and you know, so, like, I want to see Doctor Strange and Guardians of the Galaxy and all those huge movies in the theater, but a lot of these other movies, like, my wife really wants to see, and lately I hadn't been, but I'm so glad that she sat me down to watch both Moonlight and Hidden Figures because they were powerful and impactful to me in different ways and I didn't realize I was missing it. Like first of all, Moonlight, the the, the whole throughline of the story of that that boy and his develop developing his sexuality and all of that. No idea that was in the narrative. Yeah. I thought it was just, a, you know, a boy with a hard background who grows and succeeds and blo- like I didn't really know and I liked that I didn't know. Yeah. So when those natural romantic moments happen with the person that he ends up going back to see and all of that, like it felt natural because yeah. I just didn't know it was coming, and like in figures, also like it was one of those movies that I knew the basics of it yeah. because of the trailers, but the 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 movie being so precise with its language and technical and perfectly. Measured, I really loved. Like, I loved Kevin Costner's character because they didn't paint his character as an activist. They just painted him as a person who wanted to get shit just done. To get the job done. And that was, and it was and cool. This stuff See, is
2: getting in our way. Yeah. Let's, let's get it out of the way so we get the job done. And
1: it was literally, I don't care about any of you people. I want this stuff done. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's being a person and being a hard worker, and, and that's what it should be pot about. That says
2: colored only is getting in our way, so get rid of it. Right. Now can we get to work? <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly.
1: It, and it was just it was done so well, and the writing was so good. <sighs> Subject. Also, a good drama to me gives me moments that I can kind of laugh or breathe and Oh yeah. And like in especially in hidden figures, um I'm blanking the actor's name who plays the general in that. He also was in Moonlight as well as the gangster. Um and Sarah's yelling like at name. the uh, Sarah's yelling at us when Mah- she's listening
2: Maharshala Ali, I think. Uh, oh I yes, yes, yes something here. like that. Sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your name. Um,
1: But he's been so phenomenal. He was also the big bad in Luke Cage, and like
2: another reason I really want to watch that.
1: And but him that moment in Hidden Figures where he goes to introduce himself, and then like says to one of the leads, Oh, well, they hire women to do that and immediately like the expression yeah. on his face is foot and mouth. Yeah. Like that moment I love. It's one of my favorite moments because it it just defined the experience of these characters. It was very human. And it was very human, was yeah. a very
2: beautiful human moment. And the funny thing is I came to Moonlight and Hidden Figures the opposite way you did, which is I had heard of Janelle Monet, the musician. Right. I'm really bad about keeping up on what's happening with music because I don't kind of my own a job, car. So. Anymore, which is where I used to listen to the radio on long commutes. And so that was how I would hear new music. And when I do have time to listen to music, I'm usually in the subway without signals and no Spotify, no Pandora, whatever. And the funny thing is I was at a dinner party last week and a friend was saying to me, well, what do you listen to while you work? I'm like the video that I'm cutting. I have a job where I can't listen to music while I'm working. So there's very little space in my life for listening to music, which means I tend to listen to what I already know because it's very little time. And so I'd heard of Janelle Monae, and I had this sense of, oh, she's some pop singer, people like, whatever. And then I saw Moonlight and um, Hidden Figures, and I was like, wow, that's the same woman. Who is she? I looked her up on IMDb, I'm like, Janelle Monae, I've heard that name. I thought she was like a pop singer. And the funny thing is her acting resume is very short. She just started acting, Mm -hmm. and she's so phenomenally good. Uh, and so I thought, well, I need to check out her music. And then the funny thing was I listened to your episode of your podcast with Ngozi, and you all talked about Hidden Figures and Moonlight and about Janelle Monet and her music. And I was like, all right, fine. So that <laughs> night I actually downloaded an album. I downloaded um, ArcAndroid to listen uh, to on my community the next one. day.
1: Unbelievable. Oh, my
2: God. Yeah. She's – and I'm not surprised she's as good as she is. Oh, of course Because – It's clear in her acting, it was clear watching those two movies, that she's a really intelligent actor. Yeah. She's a really intelligent, sensitive actor. So it's not surprising to me that she does really intelligent, sensitive music. Yeah. Um, And then somebody linked to me, gave me the link to her, I think when she did her debut on The Letterman Show. Oh, yeah. When P. Diddy was there. Yeah. The cape on her and all that. That was hilarious. Yeah. But I watched the YouTube video, and there was a comment just below the YouTube video that said, keeping the spirit of James Brown alive. And I'm like, that's exactly that's, what it is. Absolutely. She is modern funk.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I love
2: it. And yeah. so I'm so glad that through this wholly weird, securitist route, I've discovered new music I hadn't paid attention to that's not very new anymore, but it's new to me. It's, as long as it's and, new to you, you know, that's what matters. And so now I'm trying to find how are those ways I can get more music. Because, you know, this is those technology changes change how we interact with media so we talked about how it's changing tv my interaction with music changed completely when i moved to new york city because i no longer had a car yeah i had a computer into which very shortly after i moved to new york i started plugging in my first ipod right i have a brick ipod that was my first ipod um and it became all about playlists yep and I would build playlists for time. I have playlists for times of day and for moods and for, you know, the best way to uh, be. when I, when I work on a play or I'm working on a film, I build a playlist for that project of things that inspire me about that project. But I, about a year ago, I realized I was getting really bored with my playlist. So maybe I need to make new playlists. And then I thought, wait a minute, because of these playlists, I'm not listening to easily three quarters of my music collection because I'm only listening to specific songs. songs. yeah. So about, I think it was about a year ago, I decided I wasn't going to listen to playlists for a while.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: When I get on the subway in the morning and I want to listen to some music, sometimes I listen to a podcast. But if I want to listen to music, I pick an album. And I listen to the entire album on the way to work. And it's totally changing how I feel about music. Because I feel like... I had stopped letting musicians tell me entire stories. Mm -hmm. I was opening a book and reading a few pages and going, ah, that's great. Now I'm saying, wait, you have an entire story to tell me. What's the entire story? And it's, I'm listening to songs I haven't heard in years because it was the eighth track on the album that wasn't making it to my playlist. Right. Um, And it's, it's making me listen even to stuff that wouldn't have made it to the playlist because some mornings i'm like you know what i haven't listened to in a long time i haven't listened to that the monk album that i have that's what i'm listening to as i go to work today i would never put the lonious monk music on a playlist right probably because it doesn't fit that kind of vibe unless it was a playlist for you know the movie about a jazz tap dancer <laughs> that i'm making that, maybe that but um And it's changing how I listen to music. And so I'm so glad I discovered Janelle Monae when I was in a mood for... You know, I could have said, oh, what was her hit song? Let me download that song, listen to that song. Instead, I said, what album should I get? Let me listen to one of her stories. And it turns out, because of the kind of musician she is, that was perfect. Yeah. Because she tells a whole story with her album. So I'm glad I heard a whole story and now I can't wait to get the other ones and that's awesome so that's what I'm trying to do now is what are albums that I need to listen to I just heard Lemonade for the first time <sighs>
1: yeah
2: at the dinner party where a yeah. friend was asking me about music she actually put Lemonade on while we were sitting around and because this is something else I've discovered people are listening to albums more because of the return of vinyl yeah that we're not mm-hmm. just putting stuff in our iPods to- we're putting a record on. I
1: happen to have a whole um, episode on vinyl on this series, actually. oh, I'll have to look for that. Yeah.
2: Uh, so, for example, my cousin who lives in Larchmont, who I spent a lot of time with, she and her husband have gotten into vinyl. So I go to their house, and we sit, and we listen to albums.
0: That's awesome. And
2: so at my friend's house, they had just a week ago, week before the dinner party, gotten a new turntable. So they were putting on albums for us to listen to while we were there.
1: I want to bring back the so, listening party thing. It's not a uh, thing that everybody does, but I, w- I wanted to do it for the Hamilton mixtape, but I never I got around to it. Invite me to your first that. one, because... Whatever Absolutely. you spin will be something I haven't heard and I will
2: love. Uh, well, if
1: you're looking for new music, I happen to have a podcast to recommend. They review an album every week and I'll they to to that. and they link to it on Spotify, so you can just pull the album. I heard as the host playlist. does
2: a really good job. Yeah, yeah. So well, one head. of them. The <laughs> other two are kind of
1: characters. Um, uh, yeah,
2: so it was really. So again, I was really glad that having heard about the Lemonade album, yeah my first interaction with it was not what's the song it was what's the album and Uh heard the whole album as one piece and was like oh my god this album is so incredible and so I'm going to download both the album and the formation the whole video oh yeah yeah, it's amazing it's great stuff so yeah
1: Well, yeah, I I think that music music is one of those things that has become passive over the years because of how people listen and because it's just a thing. Like, we don't have a dedicated device to any of this stuff anymore. It's all on our phones. And so our phones do everything. And I've always been someone who could stare at his computer screen while music is playing and just... Listen to the music. I don't. Yeah. Uh, I'm someone who does multitask, and I like listening to things while I'm playing games or doing other things. But I also just like listening to music. Yeah, and I, that's what I'm thankful about my other podcast the most is every week I sit down with two other people and listen to and discuss an album. That's cool. And and it's you know it's why I think guests enjoy coming on so much is because that doesn't happen in life anymore. Yeah. And it's kind of why I want to bring back the listening party because. I feel like it's a great event where if you invite like 30 people into a venue to listen to an album together, and then you discuss it afterwards, you'll get more out of it than you'll ever get listening to it just on your own. Oh,
2: that's a cool idea. I like that. And,
1: you know, we've had artists that we've picked apart their album and theorized why they made certain choices, and then they've responded to us just saying, well, actually I made that choice because I just had to end it there. But it's cool that you've created this whole narrative uh, based on what you were you know hypo- your hypothesis was even though it actually was factually this Yeah. and that's what i love about music is that it doesn't matter what the art- artist's story is cuz at the end of the day the listener creates the narrative that they want if it especially if it's open ended enough
2: there was a really cool thing back in the 90s there were some complaints that seal didn't put his lyrics on his liner notes oh, and yeah. people were saying you got to put the lyrics on because we're not sure we're understanding them all. And there was some interview I saw with him where he said, I'm not going to do that because what if somebody has been listening to one of my songs and what they're hearing means so much to them. And then they read the liner notes. They're like, Oh, that's not what it says. Yeah. And it's funny. I have mixed feelings about that. Having been one of those who spent years trying to figure out what the hell Mick Jagger was saying in jumping jack flash (laughs) or what the hell the, the, uh, Oh, the, like a deuce running in the night. Yeah, you know, yeah, All those ones where you're like, somebody please find me the sheet music so I can know what the hell they're saying. Like, I do like to know what the artist was saying, but I also like, it's sort of like what's happened with Echoes as it went through all these festivals um, during Q's, Q&As afterwards. Like, people would say to me, well, did you mean for it to be this or did you mean for it to be that? I would say, "I, you know, I know what I meant for it to be for me but I don't want to tell you what yeah. it's supposed to be of course because you know and and I've heard so many different inter- interpretations of the film where people are so positive like it meant this I'm like cool I have the same reaction after I watched it you know uh, I had one friend who was so funny um, part of the whole with the two characters not talking to each other is that the male character is not a happy guy no and one of my friends who watched the movie with me, at the point in the movie when you figure out why they're not talking to each other, she, we're sitting in my living room watching it, and she literally went, oh, that's why he was being such a dick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And it
2: cracked me up. That's great. I was like, wow, that's the first time I've heard that interpretation of the film. But great. That was her interpretation. (laughs) Sure. And so I always love that with music, too. Like, music means, you know, so many things to so many people. And I love that idea of, you know, I've had that experience with writers, too. I worked with a writer for years. I worked on a lot of his plays he is sadly no longer with us, but he was somebody i went to grad school with and we were having a conversation after having presented one of his plays and somebody said something like so with this line were you trying to make a reference to this imagery or you know what like this whole deep like analytical literary thing he's like i don't know i just wrote the line and then i wait for her to direct it and tell me what it means (laughs) And I loved that. Like That's I love that idea where he was like, yeah, this is what it is. Interpret it. Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: So, I, cool. I find that I like the art. I like art most when I can interpret it and kind of dig my hands into it. Yeah. When it's very much a clear and present, here's what this is. Yeah. I get bored.
2: I don't like to be told everything. I don't yeah. like, oh, oh it's so funny. I went to see a screening, a private industry screening of Room before it was released mm-hmm. um, in a very tiny screening room. There were like 16 seats there. And I had this conversation afterwards that was hilarious to me. Because I, I didn't know anything about Room before I went to see it. In fact, I posted something on Facebook about, I'm going to the screening of Room today. And I had several friends who were like, Oh my no God, idea. best book ever. They're making a movie. And I was like, I do uh, Loved it. Such mm. a phenomenal movie. And afterward, one of the guys who was in the little private industry audience where we were said... I wish we'd seen more of the William H. Macy character and learn more about why he'd stayed away and all that. Like, it would have been great if, like, the kid had just gone away and there had been a whole conversation with the the mom and, and William H. Macy. And I said, you did catch that the entire film was from the kid's point of view and therefore he was never going to leave the room, right? Like, every scene was from his point of view. So what you're asking for was never going to happen. And he just hadn't caught that at not all. Not at all, yeah. And then he said the funniest thing. He said, I thought the movie ended a chapter too early. And I said, I love it when movies end a chapter too early.
0: Yeah. Questions are great. Leave me
2: not knowing everything. Please. Don't talk. Did you ever see the movie, there was a movie that premiered at Tribeca two years ago, three years ago, called Chef. Did you see that movie? No, I
1: haven't, but I know about it. Yeah, I've been wanting to see it.
2: Up until the last two minutes of that movie, I was sitting in that audience going, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen in my entire life. I was so in love with it. It was so... Because you asked about hobbies earlier. One of my big hobbies is cooking. Like mm-hmm. that's one of my huge artistic outlets. When I'm not making a movie, I and Chef was just all about how cooking is an artistic outlet, and it's yeah, it's about your passion and your creation. And then in the last two minutes, somebody brought in all the ribbon and said, "Let's tie up all the bows," and I got so pissed
1: because they tied up all those. I was like, sins.
2: "Oh, come on!" <laughs> I mean, it was it was this movie that started so life is messy and life yeah. is crazy and at the very end no it's not let's tie it all up and i'm like no have the courage to just be messy and crazy yeah and i was so frustrated uh-huh.
0: um
2: but i i like when movies leave me not knowing like is that kid from room gonna turn out okay maybe maybe not. i don't know maybe not is the mom gonna be okay i don't know we leave them where we leave them yeah. we leave them not quite knowing where they're gonna go next and i love that
1: yeah it allows you to create your own narrative, too, yeah. a little bit, which I think is important.
2: Well, but unless, you know, a film is two hours, Yeah, it's not enough to tell a whole life. Yeah, And I always like it when we come in and the world has already grown and evolved and there's something happening and we leave and it's still going to keep growing and Keep growing and evolving, growing, and evolving you know? yeah. I love that. I
1: think it's why the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been able to flourish the way it does because you're coming in at points in this universe, but they're also leaving and going – Think these things are happening, and we'll fill yeah. you in on some of it. But you may yeah. not find out about the rest of it until like three episodes, three movies later. Yeah. And I like that continued narrative, yeah. and that we kind of dip in and dip out. Yeah. And then we dip into the Netflix universe, which is, uh, you know, parallel to it, and we get other things. Yeah. And it's just—it's a really brilliant way, I think, of creating a universe.
0: Yeah.
1: And still allowing yourself holes to kind of fill in later if you want. These
2: films are an interesting sort of hybrid between films. And a TV show. Yeah,
1: exactly. Because
2: they're almost episodic films. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it's one of those things where I kind of like it and I kind of don't like it. Sure. I love the movies. There's so, well, I love some of them. Yeah. I particularly love the ones where they're all together. Sure, you know, of the course. ones that's the whole group. Yes. Yeah. I actually just recently watched um, uh, Civil War.
1: Yeah. It's I had one watched of my it in favorites. Theaters,
2: and I watched it. I was like, okay, this is great. Because I thought it was. J- just an Iron Man, Captain America and movie. It's, it's not. not the whole crowd is there.
1: Yeah. Well, and also I love that Black Panther is not just there. He's not just thrown in to introduce him before his movie. Yeah. He has a strong and important narrative exactly. in the film, yeah. and it was brilliant the way they kind of weaved him into it. Yeah. Without just with it could have just been a Black Panther movie, and I would have enjoyed it as much. But well, it so wasn't. It that
2: played Black Panther. I'm sorry. Who was it that played? Black oh,
1: I can't remember the actor's name. I remember was, seeing him going, yeah. "Oh,
2: wait, I love that guy." Yeah, he's
1: in a ton of stuff, was, and he's yeah, going to yeah. be in a ton of stuff. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I appreciate you taking time to come on the show today. Um, that was it's been—it's already been over an hour. Oh my so gosh. I know, right? Time flies. Um, where can people find you on the internet and what can they look forward to seeing obviously Echoes is going to get a release at some point yeah. um, are you working on any other projects right now yeah, writing so wise
2: I am yeah I'm revising my uh, first feature screenplay I've been doing that for a while It's it's a very hard task this is one where it's a story based on stuff from my childhood. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying very hard to remove myself from it and make sure I'm telling the story of the script into the story of my life because it's not the story of my life. Right. So it's been a kind of long, hard process. Also, writing a feature screenplay is really
0: hard. I'm sure.
2: uh, Especially if you're not (laughs) used to writing. Um, So I'm working on that. Um, I'm, I'm working on a feature documentary that I've been working on for three years now that I'm getting very close to having... A finished enough product to start doing test screenings. Oh, awesome. So I'm hoping that by the summer, actual audiences will be able to sit and watch this documentary about, uh, her name is Sarah Petronio. She's an improvisational jazz tap dancer oh, who lives cool. in Paris, and she's incredible. Um, so hopefully that'll come soon. Uh, online, I'm at uh on a website that desperately needs to be updated <laughs> because it's, I need a much better website. I'm working on that. Um, And where else am I? I think I'm Amy underscore Leland on Twitter, but I'm very bad about getting to Twitter and I need to be better about that. Uh, And Instagram, I am... La directora, so L A underscore directora. Uh, So, and the funny thing is, the main thing I use Instagram for is I post my commuting music. So I post album covers of here's the album that I'm listening to. I I
1: love that because I've always done that. I've always done like a song of the day or shared what I'm listening to. And I think it's an for me anyway. It's an interesting way to use Instagram because I don't use it for the artsy taking scenery photos thing.
2: I do some of that too. And what I I love using it for is when I see images like. I'm writing a short film script right now. Where I was on the subway one day, and I realized that I was seeing a shot from the film. So I took pictures and posted that as like location scouting kind of pictures. Oh, cool! Somebody told me you're a filmmaker, you're visual, you have to be on Instagram. I'm like, all right, fine, fair enough. But then they destroyed the timeline. It's hard for me to follow other people. So again, but you know, all right, yeah, social networking
0: thing.
1: Well, thank you for coming on the show. It's uh, honestly, it's been a pleasure getting to know you better. I mean, we've been neighbors for a while and we've hung out before, but this was really awesome to get to hear about what you do because I had only sort of known, and so this has been fascinating. Okay, some
2: days I only sort of know, so it's all good. And <laughs> yeah. now I got to listen to your other podcast so I can learn more music. Yay! Yay.
1: <laughs> um, but uh, the last thing I'd ask you to do is we have a saying on the show, and I'd love for you to say it on our way out. It's uh, it's something that I've always said since I was a kid, and then it just became the catchphrase of, the sh- of both shows and my site which is kind of awesome and silly at the same time but it's music is life and life is good and so can I can...
2: tell you the funny thing about that when i post my commuting music the other hashtag i use for it is music, music is, is life, life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: and it's funny because i know the hashtag has existed for a while but i've always said that i don't know where it came from but it was just the thing that i i attached to the podcast when we started it and the other hosts liked it and so it stuck so you could take us out i would love that
2: but you know it is true music is life and life is good
0: If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.